And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the Monday edition of The Real Investment Show. As we kick off week number two of May, already getting ready to head into summer. Um, unfortunately, this morning, market's not starting off any better than we actually finished up last week. And uh, again, just more kind of angst and concerns here with markets over the course of the last, you know, really couple of weeks in particular. Inflation, of course, coming up this week. That's the big concern here as, uh, you know, we continue to look at this number, right? Everybody's kind of expecting these inflation numbers to be a lot higher and which would potentially pressure the Fed into being more aggressive. You know, that's that's the big concern right now, no doubt about that. You know, but when we look at, you know, kind of the headlines across markets, you know, there's not a lot of good news anywhere. Um, you know, whether it's inflation or earnings or corporate outlooks, there's just not much good news anywhere around. Markets in turmoil, of course, that's been running on CNBC on Fridays. And, and this is this is the type of, of psychological pressure that starts to weigh on investors because it just seems like, you know, there's just no relief in sight for markets anywhere. And, and that's, that's certainly a very valid concern. I'm getting a lot of emails right now, of course, from individuals. It's like, oh my gosh, when's the selling going to be over? I know, it's terrible. And, you know, this is this is just one of those times, though, that we have to be careful about making movements in portfolios that, you know, wind up actually costing us money as as we move on down the road. Again, markets extremely oversold here. And we've been talking about this for the last you know, week or so that, you know, these oversold conditions are not uncommon for markets. But this is also where investors tend to get you know, kind of offsides in terms of portfolios. I mean, you know, headlines this morning, more, lo more losses for stocks, uh, futures sharply lower. Yes, that's exactly what's happening here in markets this morning. And it's that kind of knee-jerk reaction right out of the gate that tends to kind of get investors swept up on the wrong side. And we saw this several times over the last week or so. Markets opened down and then recovered in the middle of the day. Now, again, that's not always the case. But again, a lot of times we've seen the worst reactions to markets first thing in the morning, and then markets tend to recover in the afternoon. Underneath the surface, you know, markets are very oversold here. We've talked about this uh, recently. Money flows are very negative. There's not, and again, really kind of technically uh, across the board, nothing looks good in the short term. But as we noted in this past weekend's newsletter, and, and actually this is part of our conversation we're having at tomorrow's uh, post on the website as well, is that sentiment, positioning, um, you know, money flows, et cetera, are all at levels that normally are coincident with at least short-term market bottoms. In other words, you get a kind of this reflex rally. I know we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks, just can't seem to get a rally put together. In fact, Every time we do get a rally of some sort, markets just kind of sell into it. Last week was a great example of that. Had a huge rally on Wednesday of last week. Uh, markets were up 3% for the day. Just this huge rally. Next day, you give it all back up, plus some, and then markets sold off again on Friday. And, and yet that's the frustrating part here is that, you know, you if you go to sell everything in your portfolio, it's certainly, it's like, whew, got it sold. That's great. And then the markets take off ripping without you. And then you're trying to pile back in. And that's what happened to a lot of investors 
On Monday and Tuesday of last week, this market was kind of just having these little short-term rallies, not really going much of anywhere. But then on Wednesday, this huge explosive rally, investors jumped right in. And of course, that was the, the mistake because the next day the markets just completely gave that back up and more. And has and now, again, this morning, we're going to open up lower. We are pushing into three standard deviations below the 50-day again. Mumbo jumbo, don't worry about that too much. What that means is, is that we've really stretched that downside selling pressure. There's just been a lot of selling pressure in the markets and markets are getting exhausted here in terms of that selling. So you're getting set up here again. You're going to have some type of reflexive rally. Not a lot. Uh, again, as we talk about this, you know, the rallies are going to be really contained here to about 429, 430 on the S, uh, 4300. I'll say that in a second. 4,290 to 4,300 on the S&P, uh, potentially as high as uh, 4,350 on the S&P 500. But again, outside of that, it's just there's not a lot of upside here. So again, you know, these you know we could see a fairly sharp 50, 100, 150 point rally, and then the market's going to give it all back up again. So you know, this is kind of one of those those challenges that we're in, and this is kind of one of those emotional times that we're in where everything is bearish and no matter where you look is bearish but that is also the time that you typically get these more outsized kind of rallies again we go back to to what we saw really kind of in in march of of this year as well we had this very same negative sentiment just like we have now back in february and early march of course remember that was where russia invaded ukraine we had surging inflation at nine percent the fed's going to be hiking rates everything is terrible exactly the same thing you're feeling now you felt there back in late february and then march has this monster reflexive rally and got back above the 200-day moving average got you know was actually pushing uh towards you know actually getting back to all-time highs and and this seems like months ago right but this is just march uh, this is just now the beginning of, of May here. So just a, a month or so ago, we have this monster rally of the markets under the very same type of conditions that we have right now. So that's my point here is just be careful uh, getting too far off sides in your portfolio in one direction or the other because use the rallies when you get them to rebalance risk. Try not to try to avoid that emotional pressure to do things when you have markets very oversold and very extended and very negatively biased to the downside. Again, when you're seeing markets in turmoil, and this is actually a chart that we have inside of our daily commentary at the, on the website. So if you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, just click the banner right there at the top says daily commentary. There's a chart in there right now showing the history of every time the uh, CNBC runs markets in turmoil, markets are generally up several months after that. So, you know, it just got, but that's just feeding into that emotional psychology that, that happens uh, in markets. But again, this morning's gonna be a really rough open coming right out of the gate. Bitcoin's down about 5% this morning. Ethereum's down about the same amount. You know, so we're just seeing really just this kind of capitulatory selling really pretty much across the board. And that's that's going to add to that pressure this morning that, you know, you just kind of want to sell everything and walk away. Just be careful with that. You know, again, there's nothing wrong with it. If that makes you feel better and takes the pressure off of you, that's OK. There's again, you know, there's nothing wrong with selling and just going to cash if you need to do that. But it typically tends to be the worst decision longer term because of the impact, the psychological impact 
of that once you're out of the market, great, you feel better right now, but then you can't figure out how to get back in the markets either. So this is this is really one of those challenging moments in, in that you have to work through and try not to let those emotional biases lead you to make decisions that longer term even have a bigger impact on your portfolio. Look, this is gonna be very tough today. It's probably gonna to be tough this whole week. Um, we've got inflation data coming out tomorrow. <clears throat> you know, that's expected to still be high here, but there is some signs, we'll talk about this after the break, there is some signs that we may be starting to see the peak of that inflation uh, kind of behind us. And we'll talk about some of those indicators as well. So stick around. More of the Real Investment Show coming up right after the break. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Get our daily commentary. That chart I just talked about is in there. Of course, uh, all of our articles and our recent newsletter on the website as well. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance will show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso realinvestmentadvice.com The Real Investment Show so Welcome back to the show this morning of course uh, this uh, past weekend Mother's Day and an interesting survey that was out. So they surveyed people from countries all over the world and they asked them the questions like, do you celebrate Mother's Day because you want to or because you have to? <laughs> and it's surprisingly in the US, it's, it's it's still in the favor. I think it was like 57% people say because they want to, but there's a rising contingent of people that feel forced to celebrate Mother's Day because of commercialization, right? Oh, okay. Hallmark yeah. cards yeah. and commercials and... Mm -hmm. Peer pressure, yeah, peer pressure is a terrible thing. For your mom? <laughs> I know you would think so, That's right? That's awful. I know, right? <laughs> but you know, you know, you go you go into like a Walgreens, right? Yeah. And there's those like, Mother's Day stuff everywhere. Oh, yeah. And, you know, cards and it's just like, you know, I'm not gonna buy it for mom. She's not worth it. She's not worthy. <laughs> and that stuff's been out there since Valentine's. I know, right? So, but it, was, it is interesting. Uh, actually, a lot of other countries around the world, they, they ranked in the majority of the have-to category versus the want-to category. Interesting. Yeah. So, mm. well, moms. Without moms, they wouldn't be here. Well, not according to the woke people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can get into that whole story we later. We could, yes. <laughs> we won't, but we could. What is the pronoun of the day? Uh markets <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
So let's see, what, what uh, clip did you give me this morning? If you take all of the marshmallows out of a box of Lucky Charms, are you left with a box of Purina Catchup? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yes. Yeah. This is, this is a true fact. In fact, I don't really understand Lucky Charms. <laughs> the, the marshmallows really aren't all that good. <laughs> I know, right? See, as you get older, you mm -hmm. move away from those. Remember, because when you were growing up, it was Captain Crunch, it was Fruit Loops, Apple Jacks. Alphabets. Alphabets. Yep. Yep. That was another one. Mm -hmm. And now it's Raisin Bran, <laughs> Cheerios. I, I do the raw oatmeal thing. <laughs> raw oatmeal. Yeah. yeah, I know, right? So it's like, you know, all the fun stuff in life. <laughs> Once you move out of sugary cereals, your life is pretty much over. That's the marketing Just, post. That's, yeah. that's it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, a couple of things this morning. Um, talking about inflation. So this week, we're going to get the inflation data out for April. And, you know, people are still expecting that inflation is going to be relatively high. And again, there's not much, not much, you know, worry about that being the case. That's absolutely going to be the case. We're still going to be seeing, you know, an 8% plus uh, print. However, there are some indications that maybe we will start to see that begin to moderate for a couple of reasons. One, we're now comparing April to April. Again, you know, again, an important point here, as we've talked about this before, is that just because inflation falls in terms of how we report CPI does not mean that prices are getting any cheaper for you at your household. That is, these are two different functions. If as I've explained before, if gasoline prices at the pump, you go to the pump and you're paying $4 a gallon for gas last month and the year from now, you're still paying $4 a gallon for gasoline. Uh, the price of gas didn't change for you, but inflation is now zero on that item because we measure it on a year over year basis. And this is part of the confusion that we have about inflation and you know the way people think about it. You know, there's often a lot of pushback against the economic data saying it's crazy that we're running, you know, 1% inflation. Have you seen the cost of insurance or this or that or the other thing? And the inflation for households has for decades now, last couple of decades, been much higher than what the reported inflation rate was. And this is because of the way we run mathematical calculations. It's the adjustments that we make relative to the index how we account for things, um, and and there's been a and there's been an intentional move by government to suppress the rate of inflation because it's what affects Social Security payouts. However, the differential between the reported CPI and what people live with are, have have been and remain two very different things, and and also just just remember that the whole inflation calculation is somewhat kind of useless on many degrees because again inflation in texas as an example is very different than inflation in california inflation in houston texas is different than inflation in austin texas so it has a lot to do with where you live it has a lot to do with how you live. Your personal rate of inflation can be very different than what is actually reported in the mainstream media. Where you live, how you live, what you consume, 
those all are an impact on your personal rate of inflation. Again, you know, so when we're taking a look at CPI and we're saying, well, the CPI was up 8% or whatever it was last month, that could be a very different number for you. And, you know, but we're trying to, what, what government numbers are trying to do is just try to get a, a sense of the trend of direction overall and, and use that for making, you know, calculations for Social Security, et cetera. But again, when you talk to the average person, they will, and this has been the argument for quite, quite a long time, is that, you know, inflation doesn't reflect the inflation they live with. In fact, there was a interview uh, about 10, 11 years ago now uh, with Bullard, and and somebody asked him, "It's like, you know, well, how do you justify, you know, inflation?" It's like, well, the price of an iPad is about the same that it was last year, but it's a lot more powerful. So, you know, it's actually deflation. And somebody quit back, well, you can't eat an iPad. And that's right, right? You know, it's, again, it's it's what, you know, it's those things you consume at home. And inflation is certainly impacting households right now because of higher gas prices, higher energy prices, higher food prices. Consumer credit card debt, as a good example of this, had fallen sharply in 2020. Because all of a sudden, all these people got these $1,400 checks from the government and these extra benefits for unemployment and all these type of things. So, so households had a lot of cash, disposable income coming in from the government. And they paid off credit card debt. Unfortunately, those payments are now gone. So they don't have that ability to pay off credit card debt. And inflation has now skyrocketed because of all that monetary input and credit card debt has now surged back to the peak of where it was in, 20, in 2020 before the pandemic. And the point about that is, is that consumers are having to resort to credit to make ends meet. That free money is gone. The cost of living has gone up and wages aren't keeping up with the cost of living. So all of a sudden, you know, we're to the point to where the only outcome or the only option for individuals is to opt for credit card debt in order to pay the bills, right? Going to the gas, get gas, you got to put that on a credit card, got to, you know, put food on credit cards, you know, groceries, etc. And so those credit card balances are running right back up. Well, the problem with that is, is that that support, that increase in credit card debt has been supporting economic growth over the last couple of quarters. You know, we saw these really good numbers in the fourth quarter. You know, we had 5.5% economic growth, et cetera. Uh, consumer spending holding up very well. And this has been some of the reports that we've seen here lately on on the employ on, on the economic data. It's like, well, consumers are hanging in there. Well, they were because they were all going back into, into credit card debt. The question is, is how much more credit card debt do they have access to than they had before, which is going to be the impact of how much more they can spend before they have to before they max out those credit cards and say, well, now I don't have any choices. You know, I only have my income and my credit cards are maxed out and I'm financially stressed out and this is going to be an issue. And unfortunately, a lot of the money that young investors had in markets back in 2020, 2021, a lot of that's now gone as well. 
So, so the, the important thing about inflation here, and this is my point, is that we're about to hit that kind of wall. And maybe we've already started to see some signs of that, as I said before the break, that there's some areas that we're looking at that are already starting to show some signs that inflation may be approaching that peak. Used car prices, as an example, which has been one of the contributors to higher inflation data, has been falling over the last month or so. And that's simply just a function of that we've now gotten to the point that people are going, well, I just can't afford to buy a used car. It's just ridiculous. A good example of this. So I, I drive a 1999 Toyota 4Runner. I, when I bought it, I, I buy used vehicles. So when I bought it, I bought it for about $18,000. And I got, an, I got a letter in the mail from Toyota yesterday saying that my truck could be worth more than what I paid for it if I was interesting and trading, you know, selling my Toyota 4Runner, they pay me $34,000 for the car. So I'm sitting there going, this is awesome, except I can't buy anything <laughs> to replace it with. Um, and plus, my daughter would be very upset because she's depending on getting that for her uh, when she turns 16. Um, but the, the problem is, is that even if I wanted to sell it, I got to buy something else and everything else is more expensive than what I would sell my car for. So it's really, it doesn't even make a point of doing this. So, you know, that's the challenge that we have here, but we may be seeing those used car prices now starting to peak. We're, we're definitely seeing some depreciation now starting to occur in home prices. We're starting to see some impact in other areas where prices are starting to stagnate near recent levels. And all that's going to feed back into this inflation data. Maybe not, and again, you know, as we'll talk about in a second, maybe not this month. You know, this month we're still going to see high inflation data. But we're starting to get to that point where year-over-year comparisons are about to start applying some pressure. We'll be right back after the break. Don't go away. Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance will show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So uh, as noted this morning, uh, it's going to be a little bit of a rough open out of the gates. Uh, futures are pointing down about one and a half, two percent this morning, uh, depending on the index. And 
you know, this is just kind of more of that uh, ongoing selling pressure and negative sentiment that we've seen here over the last week or so. A lot of this just really kind of revolving around this whole um, concern about inflation, um, growth, you know, kind of, uh, you know, all that kind of just all rolled up into one. Of course, you know, what's happening in between Russia and Ukraine, certainly not helping situations. But really, this is more about inflation, valuations, um, earnings, outlooks, you know, these type of things. And, you know, and, and again, this is just kind of that point of where central banks are very late to the curve in terms of trying to mitigate the impact of inflation. Now, as we were talking about a second ago, we're, we're about to enter this phase where markets are trying, uh, sorry, where the Fed's trying to increase interest rates to combat inflation. But now the year-over-year -year comparisons uh, that we compare inflation to are now beginning to go positive. And, we're, and again, when we take a look at the April data, this is going back to April of 2021, this is where inflation was really just starting to, to make a positive trend higher. And that inflation next month is going to be higher. And the month after that, it was higher. And the month after that, and of course, by this time, you know, by the time we get to January, February of, of next year, we're going to be comparing inflation to 7 8 9% inflation rates. So this is going to be a, a much harder comparison in the next year. So this is the, the this is the big concern about inflation that you know there's this real inflation which is inflation that people deal with and then there's the inflation measure that markets deal with. And there's the inflation measure that the Fed deals with. And that all kind of rolls into this monetary policy action that they're trying to do by hiking interest rates, tightening monetary policy, to try to quell inflation by slowing economic growth. And I thought Powell made an interesting comment last week saying that, you know, that he thinks that he can navigate a soft or softish landing for the economy. That sounds great in theory. Unfortunately, they've just never done it very well. And, and the problem is, is that the economy tends to move a lot quicker than what the Fed thinks it will. And it tends to happen kind of all at once when something buckles. And that's and that's the problem. You know, it's it's you know, you can be looking at a situation in the markets and everything's fine, and then something breaks, and then all of a sudden it's not fine, and it's not fine very quickly. And that's the risk the Fed runs here is they're trying to hike rates and they're trying to do so in a manner that that is at a pace that they think won't overly tax the economy. But at the same time, the, the, the things that they don't have control over, which is the biggest factor because the 70 percent of the economy is the consumer. And this is where one of those reports comes up to where consumer spending doesn't slow down it just kind of stops and you have this very big contraction in the markets and, and and this is and this is the risk they run this is this is always the risk they run and despite the fact and again we heard the same commentary from ben bernanke back in 2008 he said hey it's a goldilocks economy subprimes contained everything's fine and it was I mean, the economy was slowing down. Yes, there were some, there were certainly some signs of stress. Yes, but there didn't seem to be any major cracks. And the Fed's trying to hike rates, and 
you know, uh, kind of slowed the economy, and then all of a sudden, Lehman. And it was that one event that just broke everything. And that's that's what that's the markets. You know, one you know, it's it's kind of one of those days you wake up and all of a sudden something breaks, and you never know what's going to cause that. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to happen this time. And I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not trying to convey that message that says, oh yeah, one morning you're going to wake up and the market's going to be down 50%. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, is that this is the risk the Fed is running. Now, we, we, there's a lot of differences between our financial system now versus what it was back in 2008. We don't have the subprime credit. We don't have a lot of the other issues in, in, the, in the credit markets that we had back in 2008. You could say some lessons were learned, don't know. But there, there's there's a very different situation now. So could but is there still a credit issue out there that could weigh on the markets? Absolutely. And credit markets are a function of interest rates. And as interest rates go up, that's applying more monetary tightening. And this is this is really the kind of the key point here is what supports economic activity is monetary looseness, right? Low interest rates, easy access to credit, people able to spend money as, as kind of they want, low inflation. That monetary looseness has been what's really kind of fueling the markets and the economy, you know, over the last decade or so. Now, all of a sudden, you have high inflation. Interest rates have gone up. Wages aren't keeping up with inflation. So all those factors, and we're not even talking about the Fed here, just those factors alone are tightening monetary conditions in the markets and the economy. People just, their money just won't go far enough to make ends meet. That's deflationary because that's impacting consumption. So as we talked about before the break, there's already some signs on various levels that inflation we may see we may be at or near the peak of inflation. Doesn't mean we still won't have a, a a fairly strong print of inflation come tomorrow when we get the CPI number. But this is going to be probably near that point to where we start seeing rates of change that are coming in weaker than expected. Now the question will be how does the market react to that? Don't know. We'll, we'll have to na navigate that as we get there. But that's that's kind of the risk we run. So let's talk about markets here for a minute, because, again, this is, you know, kind of that point to where, you know, investors start making emotional decisions. And this is where mistakes are made. One of the biggest problems or things that happens to investors is that markets are under a lot of pressure. And you wake up one morning, like this morning, and markets are down some more. And it's like, I can't take anymore. I just, I got to get out. I get it, right? That emotional pressure is big. It's a huge factor on individuals. But normally, when you're starting to get that kind of pressure emotionally, that's normally where you are at or near at least a short-term bottom. And I know we've talked about this over the last week or so, but this has kind of been the, the point of where we are. Markets have been under a tremendous amount of pressure price-wise, a tremendous amount of negative news flow. Like I said at the, at the open, you know, markets in turmoil, those type of things.
those those type of things typically occur at or near market bottoms. And it doesn't mean that markets can't go lower in the short term. They certainly can. Here's the challenge that you run into. Let's say this morning you just can't take it, you sell everything. Okay. The problem is going to be is that the markets are then going to start to reflex rally. And your first response is going to be, well, see, it's just a bounce. We've seen these bounces before. I'm fine. And then that rally is going to go a bit more. And then you're going to start to question your actions. And then the rally is going to go a little bit more. And it's like, okay, well, I, you know, I got to get back in now because I've got to get my portfolio back to where it was previously. So I need to be in. So you jump back in the markets, and that's just going to be about right at the end of that reflex rally. And then you wind up on the other side of that, of that trade once again. And that's just the way it works psychologically. And sometimes, I mean, now look, there's nothing wrong with re reducing risk in portfolios. Nothing wrong with that at all. And if you need to reduce some risk, then you can do that. But be wary of going to 100% cash to get out of the market entirely just because you can't take it because the problem then becomes getting back in. And there's a whole nother slate of problems that come along with trying to get back into the markets once you get out. And that's the, the one thing we cautious, caution on to a large degree. Look, markets are indeed under pressure. And that's just a function of what's happening in, in, in the markets right now. And again, this is about, you know, trying to make some right decisions. If we were near, if we were at or near overbought conditions right now, then we could be talking about, you know, sharply reducing risk, raising more cash, those type of things. But where markets are now, they are so extremely oversold. Sentiment has become so very negative on multiple levels that you're typically set up for some type of reflexive rally. And, and again, it doesn't mean that it's going to start today. Doesn't mean it'll start this week. But sometime within the next few weeks, you're going to get a reflexive rally and, and you can use that. Now, that reflexive rally may only get you back to where you are right now, right? But that would be a better place to sell than to sell today. So try not, an important point about this is just try not to let your emotions override your longer term fundamental strategy and investment discipline long term. Emotions are our biggest enemy, and that's the hardest thing to control. So just be wary of it and factor that in to whatever decision-making process that you're thinking about this morning. Be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the Internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual Lunch and Learn on the truth about life insurance will show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. 
Welcome back to the show this morning. 6.45, we get ready to wrap up this uh, first day of the week, Monday already. I think my weekend went by too fast. Yeah, you're Lots about two minutes slow. Yeah, I know. It's 6.48, actually, three <laughs> minutes. I just kind of round, round it down a yeah, little bit. Yeah, make rounding. It yeah, you know. To the nearest quarter hour. Exactly. So, you know, this weekend we had... So my daughter had her graduate, her high school graduation party this weekend. Uh-huh. Then we had Mother's Day on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I'm fooded out. You're exhausted. I'm fooded out. <laughs> too too much food this weekend. <laughs> Got one more graduation party and week after next, mm-hmm. and then they're done. So so a double session in the gym today. Yeah, easily, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I got a lot. I did, I actually got a lot of good running in this weekend. So it was really pretty outside. Yes, it so was. So my wife and I hit the hit the sidewalk hmm. a couple of times this weekend. Yeah. So I try to try. I try to moderate it a little <laughs> bit, right? Try to match the exercise with the amount of caloric intake. <laughs> so it was a couple of extra miles this weekend. It's always a question yeah, of balance. Yeah, yeah no. Whatever you want to do. There's a consequence. <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting um, story out this morning. I was watching a clip of a horse race over the weekend where this horse that is long shot. I can't. Uh, I can't remember his name now. I'm, I'm totally drawing a blank. I don't remember either, but I'm going to call him Lightning. Yeah, he, he's he's in the very back of the pack. He's the long shot to win. Yeah. And they're in the final stretch, and this horse comes all the way from the back of the pack and wins this race. I mean, just amazing. And, and there's an important part about this, which Rich Strike was his name. That was uh, Rich Strike. That was his name. Very apt. And, you know, so the, the, the horse race announcer is, you know, talking about, you know, the, the leading horse and, and, you know, who's going to win and what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, Rich Strike comes out of nowhere and wins. And, you know, pretty amazing. And, and, the, and the point about this is, is that there's lessons to learn from betting on horse. You know, we talk a lot about poker and gambling on the show. And, and you know, those have, there's, there's, it's very apt to investing because we don't really invest anymore. We, we all speculate in markets. You know, we're worried about what's going to happen today versus what's going to happen eight years from now. And whole times for equities back in the 70s and 80s used to be six to eight years. It's now less than six months. So there's a lot of lessons to learn from poker and from blackjack and and craps and just gambling in general. And there was an article out over the weekend that really kind of brought this into focus talking about these very same things is like you know the important thing the most important thing about investing is picking winners and that's absolutely not the case that's what we want to do we're always trying to pick the winner but the way to win long term is making bets that have the best odds of winning over time and as an example a horse that you handicap as a legitimate even money favorite should win about half the time right and so people don't want to bet on that because you know i don't i just don't get any reward for that so a horse that 
wins about one in four times. As an example, if you bet it right, you're going to win more money, right? So because about one in four times, that horse is going to win. So measuring and monitoring your bets accordingly is better because you'll make money in the long run. And this is really kind of the, the part about investing is, is that we often get too tied up with trying to win the short-term game, right? The market's up, the market's down, the market's up, the market's down. And we wind up, and this is what I was talking about a second ago, with our emotional biases, right? This morning, markets are lower. And you know, red big big red banners right now on CNBC, our you know, on our and our monitors in our studio, right? You know, yields are rising, stock markets, sharp losses at the open, big red banners everywhere you look on the screen. And, you know, it's it's you you take a look at it like, oh my gosh, you know, I gotta get out of the market. But again, as I said earlier, what are our what are our odds of winning over the next six, eight months with where markets are positioned right now. And if you get out today, that's completely okay. But, you know, what are your odds of, from, from these levels, technical, fundamental, you know, these type of things, what are your odds of winning over the next several months versus being out of the market? And that's the part we've got to measure. And look, and these are all your own decisions. You have to make these decisions yourself. You know, I can't make them for you. Nobody else can. But this is the analysis that we have to run and try to make assessments on normal, historical, statistical odds of certain things happening. And when markets are deeply oversold in very negative territory, historically, the odds suggest that you're going to get some type of reflexive rally. And again, it's going to happen right after you sell. Guaranteed. The market is a does this a very good job with this. The markets pressure people emotionally to do things at the worst possible time. And it's, and it's almost like they know, right? It's like, ah, Brent sold, time to run up the markets, right? And and that's why, you know, this is hap but this happens to everybody. It happens to me, it happens to you, it happens to everybody, right? We get in these these emotional driven decisions and sometimes you just kind of got to you know just man up a bit and you have to ride this part through wait for the rally and then make the adjustments i'm not saying you shouldn't make adjustments i'm not saying that you shouldn't do these things but just try not to do them at points where your emotional stress is the highest and see the other problem then becomes because that when you do get this rally it's going to come it will absolutely no doubt about it, you're going to get a rally. And when you do, then the other side of this is going to be, well, you need to be selling, reducing risk, rebalancing portfolios. And we'll be talking about that here on the show. And you're like, yeah, but the market might go up some more, so I don't want to miss that. And so then you don't make any changes, right? And this is, then you're going to get on the other side of this emotional track, which is this extreme fear to extreme greed. But that's the markets. That's how they work. And that's how we have to, to try to navigate these things. Um, and, that, and that's really just the, the point that we're going to have to deal with over the course of the next you know, few weeks. And again, you know, these turnarounds 
don't happen in the short term. Um, but they do typically tend to happen. Do I do I have a is my is my if I play something here, well do you have you can give me audio? I think I have that clip for the uh for that race. But uh, um, it's a, it's about fifty four seconds. But it's not it's not cooperating with me. So, <laughs> but anyway, if you do get a chance, uh, take a look. It's uh, Epicenter was uh, slate was uh, uh, slated to win, and the Rich Strike comes up. It's a pretty exciting, you know, finish to that race. If you happen to get a chance, look it up on it's it's everywhere right now. I mean, everybody's playing it, but it, it's it was pretty cool. Um, okay, last couple of things to wrap up this morning. Uh, quite a few. We're getting ready to kind of wrap up the big influx of earnings, and we've gotten through a large chunk of the S&P 500 today. We've got Palantir um, uh, Technologies, Cody, Duke Energy this morning reporting, Tyson Foods, Blue Apron. Keep a watch on Tyson Foods. Uh, they're expected to report earnings of about $1.90 a share. You know, that's going to be kind of a good inflation gauge. What's going on with chicken? Um, is after the bell, we've got Plug Power, Novavax, Simon Property Group, a good kind of bellwether for real estate. Real estate under a lot of pressure last week and has gotten uh, pretty beat up here along with you know several other of those sectors. Zynga Vroom, uh, Lemonade Inc., which is an online insurance portal. And I, and, I, and I like watching this one because, again, we're seeing a lot of these companies, these apps come up. And it's like, oh, you can now do everything online. Isn't it great? Uber. Lyft, a good example of this, um, you know, isn't it great you can do all this stuff online? These companies just cannot turn a profit. Uh, even Lemonade, which is selling insurance, is reporting losses of $1.42 a share on $43 million worth of sales. You know, uh, you know, you know, for moving in that direction, it, it's interesting to see that we can do things more conveniently, but these companies cannot turn a profit. And at some point, they've got to start making money. Uber was a good example over the weekend. They announced that they're going to start treating hiring. If you want to be an Uber driver, it's now a privilege if you get hired by Uber. They're going to start treating hiring as a privilege at Uber. Lyft is having the same problem. All kinds of incentives to get drivers and things like that eating into profit margins. But the burn rate on these companies is massive. And as we said, you know, as we talked about previously, you know, the term Uber is now ubiquitous for Lyft, getting a taxi, renting a limo. It doesn't matter what it is, right? It's like, oh, yeah, we can just Uber over there. It doesn't matter what, how you actually get there. I'm going to take a train, but I'm going to call it an Uber. Um, you know, it's just that has become a ubiquitous term for ride sharing and almost, you know, just pay for transportation, but they can't turn a profit. It's pretty interesting. All right, wraps up the show for the day. Get by the website realinvestmentadvice.com um, on our simplevisor.com this morning if you uh, want to check it out we have a new sector analysis report that I just posted this morning going sector by sector with entry and exit positions for every sector of the S&P 500 that's at simplevisor.com um, if you're not a member there already you can subscribe for a 30 day free trial check out all of our uh, analysis and statistics and things that we have there on the website as well do your own research for your own portfolios that's at simplevisor.com, along with that special report. Um, we'll be back tomorrow morning for the uh, next edition of The Real Investor Show. Stick around. Three minutes on markets and money coming right up.